Welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 153, part one of the talk given by Pat Collins, entitled Spirituality is Good for Your Health. Well, hello everyone. I, I don't know whether I'm delighted or scared by the numbers here because I sometimes I feel confident about things, but this morning isn't one of those days. Um, but please God, with divine guidance, I'll get through this morning and say something useful. Uh, we, we, we'll begin with a prayer uh, because our human efforts, well-intentioned though they may be, are often uh, of no use unless the Holy Spirit really touches them. Unless the Lord build the house, in vain do the laborers build. So, Lord, I've done preparation for this, I know, and I will put my best foot forward and try and say something sensible. And, Lord, I'm sure everyone here has come with an open heart, uh, wanting to learn and wanting to find out something useful uh, for daily life. And Lord, we, we put all those logs on the fire, but we ask you to strike the match and set them aflame so that they, um, they're illuminating and uh, helpful. So Lord, we offer everything to you now, knowing that you do more than we can ask or think through the power of your Holy Spirit working in our weakness. And to you be glory in anticipation through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, now, today I'm dealing with uh, health and spirituality. And tomorrow I'll be dealing with a, a, a subject that's very closely related to it, the connection between spirituality and overcoming addiction. And I don't know what you're expecting, but I'm going to take a slightly scientific approach to things this morning. Um, for two reasons. The first is to do with evangelization. You know, evangelization is made up of many things. It can be uh, telling people the good news about Jesus Christ. It can be catechesis. It can be interreligious dialogue and so on. But one of the things that evangelization is, is apologetics. Did any of you do apologetics when you were at school? Yes, I see number of hands. It was where you try and defend religious claims in a rational way and say, this is not off the wall, it's not incredible. There are good reasons for believing what we do. Now, it's true that faith goes beyond reason, but there, there's a, di a big difference between saying something is irrational and saying it's beyond reason. And so uh, there's a way in which we can evangelize by showing the legitimacy of our religious claims, by giving evidence, good reasons for believing the way we do. So that's partly what I'll be doing this morning. And um, the second thing that I'll try and do is a more pastoral orientation, where we lead from looking at the more apologetic side of things into what are the practical implications 
of the connection between spirituality and healing for our own daily lives. So let's begin by saying that in the 20th century, there was a big debate about the existence of God and the worthwhileness of spirituality for anything. And if we took a person like Freud, who was one of the, the big names of the 20th century, he would have argued as a doctor that all our mental processes are rooted in our biology. And he was a typical materialist that he would tend to explain higher things like consciousness and our awareness of everyday life in terms of lower things, the electrochemical activity of the brain. So, um, if you take up a materialist position, and many people today do take that, I'm sure Richard Dawkins, that would be his basic approach. It's a materialistic approach. All there is, is matter. And everything that we experience in the world of thought and, and awareness is reducible to material uh, explanation. And F Freud also believed that when people said that God existed, that they were mistaken. I'm sure many of you are familiar with his arguments about the existence of God. He would say that as children, we are dependent on our parents. But as we grow older and, and seek our own independence, we tend to move away from the authority of our parents and to strike out on our own. And he would say, actually, it's an essential part of human mat maturity is to be able to assert your independence from your parents and not to live in their shadow all the time. But of course, he'd say, when you break with your parents, you no longer have that buffer against the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. You know, that you find that life is a pretty tough place that it has a lot of jagged edges and that we've no protection, it would seem. And I'm just being reminded of a little story which would illustrate this point. A lady goes into a shop coming up towards Christmas and she says to the, uh, she's wanting to buy a toy for her son who's only about four. And she said, look, I want to buy him a toy for Christmas, it's true, but I want something of educational value. And he says, I think I've got the ideal toy here for you, madam. And he said, um, you have to assemble this toy. But the thing is, the bits don't fit together. So, in fact, he'll never succeed. And she said, well, where's the educational value in that? And he said, it's training him for a life where nothing fits together either. <laughs> but um, Freud was very aware of, 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 of the jagged edge of life. And... Um, he said that people find it so um, difficult to cope with life without their parents that what they do is they project a notion of a parent in the sky, God the Father, and then they'll say God has providence, he has a plan for everybody, that he provides for everybody, and that this now is kind of an invention of the mind to try and help us to get through life which is so tough and so unpredictable. Now, there's a certain truth in that. I do think that people do project a notion of God and invent a notion of God. But um, it, Freud would argue that th that inventing of God as, as a protection 
um, is in fact a form of neurosis, an obsessional neurosis. And he'd say so that by definition you're not well when you're doing this because you're living in a life of illusion for whatever reason. And therefore, if you want to be mentally healthy, you have to do away with the illusion of God and just deal with the harsh realities of life with a certain heroic courage, which he always displayed, I may say, himself. He got cancer of the, the jaw, and we know that he coped with it very courageously himself as an atheist. He had a friend who was a novelist, and the novelist said, I can readily accept the fact that we don't believe in God, that the notion of God is an illusion. But he said, what about the notion of spirituality, having a sense of mysterious connection with a, with a mystery beyond your, yourself, and maybe connecting with the universe and having a sense of the oneness of the universe and the mystery of the universe. And the surprising answer of Freud to that as well was, no, spirituality is also an illusion. He said it's just part of this game of not coping with reality as it is. Now, I suppose as a materialist, it was a logical extension of, of his argument that spirituality, by definition, was saying there's something beyond the material and therefore it must be false. And so, but I'm, I'm claiming that he maintained that you were necessarily unhealthy if you believed in God and had a sense of spirituality. Now, he's had a huge influence, uh, not only in the 20th century, but continues to have a big influence into the 21st century. However, there are lots of arguments and very persuasive arguments against what Freud says. The first one would be that in recent years, scientists have discovered what they called the God spot in the brain. Have you heard about that? Uh, research was being done on epileptics. And one of the things that they did to these epileptics was they put electrodes on different parts of their brain and stimulated them. In fact, I think what they were trying to do was to help these epileptics to remember things that were forgotten. But in the course of doing this work, uh, they, they triggered off epileptic episodes but they found that for one quarter of those who had this treatment, if you could call it that, um, they had very strong religious experiences. And to cut a much longer story short, what they found was that there was a part of the brain which was responsible for these religious experiences. It was in the front left temporal lobe up here, somewhere. I think most of our thinking, if I'm not mistaken, is coming from the back of our brain. But they found that the center for religious experience, which would be the part of us that's capable of having a spiritual outlook on our lives, is in our brain. Now, a lot of work has been done on this. There's a man called Radish Shangran, who is Indian, you'd know from his name, but he works in the United States and he has published on this and done television programs. And there seems to be general agreement now that undoubtedly our human brain is hardwired for religious experience. 
uh, that there is an identifiable part of the brain which enables us to have spiritual experiences. And of course, the old story is that if a person is in an accident or whatever, and, and that part of the brain is damaged, they cease to have this ability. So that's one little piece of biological evidence that we are programmed for religious experience by nature. The other one is, I'd be a bit more skeptical about this, but one scientist called Hammer in the United States uh, interviewed loads of people about their experiences and he asked all of them what kind of religious experiences, if any, they had during their lives. And then he tried to work out how intense those experiences were. And what he found from that was that there was a correlation between the, 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 the number of religious experiences people were having and certain chemicals in the body. And he has put forward that there's actually a gene in the genome which is responsible for religious experience. It's called VMAT2, V-M-A-T-2. And he says that this is responsible for, a, that when people have certain kinds of experiences, it triggers a whole sequence of chemical changes in the brain which bring on all the, um, the awarenesses that are characteristic of religious experience. Now, it's, it's, it's tempting to think that there is a gene, not only the front left lobe of the brain, but there, there are genetic predispositions towards religious experience. I, I, from reading the literature, I don't see great support for this notion of a, of a religious gene. Now, it raises the issue, and I was just thinking about this this morning, you know, evolution has produced all these things. I would be an evolutionist and Darwinian in my outlook. And I do believe that we are the product of evolution. So we all have eyes, ears, sense of taste, smell, and so on, which is the product of evolution. Now, the eye has a capacity for seeing, but there's a world to see. The ear has a capacity to hear, which is produced by evolution, but there are sounds to hear. You know, we have a sense of smell in our nose, but we can smell odors that are in the world. And I needn't go on. Our senses are programmed, uh, we're hardwired to be able to do all these things, but there is always an object to be perceived, tasted, touched, uh, heard, and so on. Now, why not use that argument and say, if our brain is hardwired for religious experience, if perchance there's even a gene that's governing the possibility of religious experience, it seems illogical to say, with all the other functions of the body, there is something to experience, but by the way, there's nothing to experience. With, with that, that, that spot in the brain that's there to experience God, there's no God to experience. And that, that genetic predisposition towards spiritual experience of God, there is nothing to experience. There is only the material world. It seems totally illogical. It seems more logical to me to say that the creator of the universe who built in an evolutionary de development has predisposed evolution that the highest creatures in evolution are capable of knowing the creator, are capable of experiencing the creator. 
and that we're biologically enabled to do this. And Catholicism has always said that grace builds on nature. And so it's, it's no problem to me to hear that we have a natural uh, biological predisposition towards uh, God and towards religious experience. You're with me so far? Um, now, in marked contrast to uh, Sigmund Freud, uh, Carl Jung, who was one of his uh, collaborators, um, completely disagreed with Freud on the whole notion of religion. He said, not only does religion not make you neurotic and peculiar, but without religious experience, you will inevitably be neurotic and peculiar. So it's the direct opposite to what Freud said. And Jung split from Freud precisely on this point. He said, you've got it completely and utterly wrong. Now, I'm not going to give a big class on, on, on Jungian thinking, but certain points are worth just putting in. Jung believed that just as we have genetics in our body, which predetermine whether we're going to have blue eyes or brown eyes you know, when we're born, and all that sort of thing, he said that there are kind of psychological genetics which govern the way in which we experience the world around us. And he would say uh, we have archetypes in our unconscious which are governing the way in which we experience the world about us. They predetermine it. Now, one of those archetypes that he discovered, not in a theoretical way, but by doing an awful lot of clinical work with patients, he said this is obvious when you deal with patients, that there is what is known as a God archetype. Now, you might say, what is an archetype? It's like scaffolding. You know, when workers are building a bridge, they will build a wooden frame and pour in the concrete. And then when the concrete is set, they take the frame away. Now, what the frame would be to the concrete, uh, the archetypes are to, to our experience. They, they are not contents of experience, but they predetermine the way in which we will have experience. And what Jung is saying is that our mind is predisposed at the deepest level of the unconscious towards the experience of God. Now, he will go further and say that if a person does not have experience of God, if they don't lock on like your GPS to the satellites, um, that you lose, you're not orientated, that your psyche doesn't know how to develop, that, that, that it's like the banks of a river conducting the water to the sea, that, that this God archetype in the brain is enabling us to have our our minds unfold and all our, the capacities of our mind unfold in a way that is integrated and healthy. But that if we're not able to lock on to God and experience God, then the whole psyche becomes fragmented and you end up with all kinds of neurotic difficulties. So that he would say, he would hypothesize, the more a society lacks relationship with God and lacks spirituality, the more neurotic the members will become. And he said in one, it's one of the most quoted lines from Jung, but he said this at one stage in his career. <clears throat> it's in a book called Psychology and Western Religion. He said, in 30 years, I have treated many patients 
in the second half of life. You might be wondering, what's the second half of life? <laughs> 35 and over, according to Young. Some of us are well over that now. Um, we're probably in the third part of life. Um, and he says, every one of them became ill because he or she lost that which the living religions in every age have given their followers. And none of them was fully healed who did not regain his religious outlook. Now, this is a huge claim that he never met one single neurotic person who ever recovered from neurosis, who did not have what the religions give people. What he means there is religious experience. That without genuine religious experience, you cannot leave neurosis behind. It's a big claim. So thank you for taking the time to listen to these episodes. Our prayer is that as you listen and reflect on these teachings, that you'll be encouraged to continue your journey to maximise your potential to have a good and a happy life. So sign in again next week for more teaching on how you can follow the Jesus way to experience your life as filled with meaning, purpose and joy. So God bless and stay safe.